Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Unpredictable Minds. My name is Michelle O'Coyne, and I am the Executive Director of Learnability Nova Scotia. I want to begin by giving a shout out to all of the wonderful people who took the time to listen in for my inaugural episode. It meant a lot to me and to the students whose stories you took the time to listen to, the advice they had to share. It gave them a platform, it gave them a voice, and honestly, it also gave them a really great feeling of accomplishment and pride. I was very surprised um, with this initial episode to have had some listenership from across the country, and I cannot thank you enough. So I hope you'll continue to join me each week. I'm now going to move my program to Mondays so we can kick off each week with either information or inspiration. And today, I'm providing you with another personal perspective on disabilities, but this time from a very dedicated mom and autism advocate, Tracy Hilliard. Now, in 2018, Tracy published Through Rainbows and Storm Clouds, the story of of her son, Matthew, as he journeyed through his diagnosis of autism and subsequent years of schooling and into adulthood. Through intervention, accommodations, and above all, family support, Matthew has become a very productive, hardworking, and successful young man. Now, for many parents, a new diagnosis of a learning disability, ADHD, or autism in any child can be a very scary experience. The idea of what the future will bring for the newly diagnosed child is uncertain and can be overwhelming. Tracy has graciously agreed to share her family story with us today. And she joins us now. Hello. Hi, Tracy Hilliard. Hello. I'm well, how are you? I'm great. So on the phone today on our podcast, we have Tracy Hilliard. Tracy is a self-published author of Through Rainbows in Storm Clouds, a wonderful story about her son, Matthew. She's an advocate. She's a mom of two sons, one young man who we'll hear about today, Matthew, who has high-functioning autism. Tracy's currently running for District 8, the representative seat within the Cape Breton Municipality election, and she's going to tell us her story today. So, Tracy, we all have a story, so tell us why you wrote yours. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me with you today. Um, I love to talk. Anybody who knows me knows that I love to talk and I always have a story to tell. So when we started living Matthew's journey with his diagnosis of autism, I began blogging it. I belonged to an online parenting group from across Canada and I began to blog his journey uh, to perhaps help other parents who were going through the same things and to help myself because at that point in time, I didn't know anything about autism that was totally new to us. No one in our family, no friends that we had uh, experienced living with autism. Mm -hmm. So over the years while I was blogging, I came to think of putting it all together in one place as a resource, as a story, as a way for other parents, teachers and professionals to hear what 
I don't know, a typical family Mm -hmm. went through during the run of the education of their child with autism. So I've always written. Writing is one of my hobbies. So I thought I'd take the story and take my ability to write with Matthew's permission, of course, and, and tell his story for anybody who thought that they might be able to get something out of it. So how old was Matthew when he was diagnosed? Matthew was diagnosed very late. Uh, He was in grade three when he was diagnosed uh, at the age of 10. He's one of those late year school year babies. So he was almost six starting school. Uh, He repeated his grade primary year because of not fitting into the social circle quite the way that the teacher had hoped for. So it, he was he was quite late by the time we were able to pinpoint the autism diagnosis. It was a multiple diagnosis um, steps over a few years for him. We started out uh, with a diagnosis of ADHD, which did answer some of our questions. But there were still a lot more uh facets of him that didn't fit into that ADHD diagnosis. So we kept pushing. The second diagnosis that came along was a diagnosis of nonverbal learning disorder. So that was really interesting uh, to me because it answered so many more questions. But there were still Mm -hmm. there were still some issues that those two diagnoses didn't quite make sense the way I thought they should. Um, so the summer between grade two and grade three, we had him tested privately and, uh, it came back as the then Asperger's diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So that was going into grade three. So how did you feel? I always ask mothers this, um, you know, in my practice, I see children with varying disabilities and it's interesting to hear their story, just like it's interesting to hear yours right now. But it's just always a question that I think is relevant and important. How did you feel after hearing his diagnosis? My worst emotions came with the ADHD diagnosis. Okay. So everything with me was kind of done in levels because of of this was going on for so long, right? So when we got the initial ADHD diagnosis, I was devastated. I mean, it was something I did. It was something I didn't do. Then they wanted to put him on medication and uh, all of the stereotypes that are out there of your your child, you know, becoming like a zombie and, and everything like that. So I, I worked through all those thoughts and all those feelings and the unknown and the hurt and the disappointment and the anger and the angst and the, it, it was horrible. Yeah. And, but I think, I think as a mom, I needed to go through that to get to the point that, okay, now that's enough. Now we have to decide what the next step is to be able to get him the resources he needs and the help that he needs. So after after that, I, I tried to take that negative energy that I had and turn it into something positive. And I reached out to my MLAs and I reached out to my MPs and I reached out to anybody who would listen to me to get me the resources that I needed to help him because I honestly knew nothing about learning disabilities or about autism. It was like you picked me up from 
my home in Cape Breton and you dropped me in China or Japan or somewhere and said, here, go to it with no training and, and no secondary language, because that's that's how I felt. That's a great was, analogy too. a really great analogy. It, yeah. But because, you know, I mean, the technology, the technical terms, the abbreviations, the what is that? You need to talk to me in English. Yeah. Right. And and at that point in time. The doctors weren't doing that. The speech language pathologists weren't doing that. The teachers, IEP, IPP, what what does it all mean, right? So mm -hmm. because of the type of person I am, I was able to dig. And yeah. my husband is very much that type of person as well. If we don't know something, if we don't understand it, we're going to go and we're going to find it and we're going to try and figure out what it all means. And some people just don't have the mindset to be able to do that when they receive an initial diagnosis. So by the time the autism diagnosis came, I was so thankful. Right. And that took two yeah. years. That took two years to get to that point. So don't anybody feel that you have to be there right away because it was a long two years of digging and trying and looking and finding and asking over and over and over. Mm -hmm. But when that final and, and it sounds cliche, but when that final piece of the puzzle was there and the word autism was said to me, I can remember sitting in the doctor's office and feeling the most amount of relief that I have felt in probably two years prior to that. Well, it's a justification because you knew. And That's I right. always say mothers and, and fathers can have this sense, right? Mm -hmm. That they know that there's something, and, and I often hate saying it, but there's something wrong with their child mm -hmm. and wrong in the sense of what you know to be based on developmental you know, milestones right. and outcomes that are presented to you, you know, Absolutely. from education, you, you find these things out, right. And then yeah. I've seen that with, with some parents where it is this, oh, thank God, that's all it is. Exactly. Right. That it's and this, we can, we can deal with this because mm -hmm. how, I don't know how, but we know that this is mm -hmm. something that we can deal with. And that's the thing about having autism. And it's, you know, I think, when people hear the word autism, and in Matthew's case, he's high functioning autistic. And, That's you right. know, I think in some cases, people automatically assume they they don't understand that there is so much potential there. And For that's sure. what's really interesting about Matthew's story, I think, and I'd like you to share that, you know, what happened in the beginning as you're sharing now, and it was grade three, but Tell us what happened with Matthew over time and how he, and, and Matthew is how old now? Did I ask you this already? He's 20. No, Matthew's tw 23. He's going to yeah. be 24 next month. Right. Yeah, exactly. So he got his diagnosis in grade three. We were then able to start putting everything in place that needed to happen to get him the resources he needed to be educated the way he deserved to be educated. Exactly. That wasn't necessarily easy either. Okay. Mm -hmm. Elementary was great. The TAs came in and they were able to work or she was able to work with him. And he was very fortunate that he had the same TA with him for multiple years. Um, junior high school. Well, it was junior high school then middle school now um, wasn't necessarily as um, it wasn't easy. 
it wasn't an easy time for him. Mm-hmm. Um, there were differences with the with the TAs. He was growing. He was going through changes that a typical teenager would go through himself. So so middle school um, was very very rocky. Middle school. Um, it took a lot for us as parents uh, to work closely with the team at the school, keep an eye on the way things were going and make sure that his IPP was followed and mm-hmm. not only make sure that his IPP was followed, make sure what he needed to be in that, what he needed to have in that IPP was there, you know, because that that's one thing that, I've heard from a lot of parents that they wished this was in an IPP or they wished that was in an IPP. Well, get it put in there because you as a parent are as much a part of that team as any other person that's sitting on that student's programming team. You, You sign off on that IPP. That's a legally binding document. So if you know your child and you do because you know them better than anybody else and there there are things that need to be worked on to make the successes that have to happen for your child happen then you make sure that that's in that ipp that's absolutely probably one of the most important pieces of advice that i could give and we found that out um, very very clearly through the junior high school years with matthew um, so thankfully we did, we did get through that and it did, um, mean that we did have to change schools for him, um, to find the right team for him. Okay. And that's, yeah. that's another thing that's really important that not, not all groups of people and not all teams are going to work the way that's going to benefit your child the most. So don't be afraid to look for different teams and different ways yeah. to make make it happen for your child the way that it has to happen um so junior high school ended up working great and high school was phenomenal high school was the best three years uh that we had with matthew and he ended up graduating with honors with an academic diploma which was absolutely wonderful yeah and he'll he'll tell you he learned more in three years of high school than he did in, in all the years combined up to that point um and while he was in high school was when he really started to flourish socially as well um i often said with matthew things would things would go along at any even keel for so long but when you did see advancements advancements with him they all happened bang 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 one yeah. after the other after another and it happened quickly and it happened big so like go big or go home yeah. Well, Matthew went big yeah. and he started um, volunteering out at Two Rivers Wildlife Park in his grade 10 year. And uh, he completed a thousand hours of volunteer work within the first year. Uh, he had a, a story on CTV and he had an article in the Cape Breton Post about his work ethic and how he was able to relate with the animals out there. Because that's that's another important thing. Um, for kids that are are on the spectrum they as we all do they all have that that thing that if you can tap into with them and and use it to their advantage man it's amazing what can happen 
you know, so Matthew was able to learn so much about science, so much about math, so much about general life out at that wildlife park that it was unbelievable. And the, the workers and the staff out there understood um, what he was living with and, and how once they got to know him, how, how his mind worked and they capitalized on that which was extraordinary for, for a staff, a group of people out there that had just met him to take him under his wing like that mm-hmm. and, and allow him to develop the way he needed to, to reach his full right. potential. So here we are, you know, five years later, and he, he's employed out there now, um, full times for the summer, part times through the winter. He lives interdependently on the grounds out there in an RV that he purchased himself, Um, you know, and when he needs help, he asks for it. When he doesn't need help, he's cooking meals, he's washing his clothes, he's working in the canteen, he's taking care of the horse. He's doing pretty much maybe on a little bit of a lesser level, but what a typical 23-year-old would be doing. And if you would have told me six years ago that that's where we were going to be with him today, I would have called you a liar. I had great (laughs) expectations for him, but I never thought that they would amount to the levels that they've amounted to. So why? This is my question then. So why? Why did you not think it might, that he might not rise to the potential that in my mind, he's, he's really, he's reached and he continues to reach. Like he, he's, like I said before, the expectation, unfortunately, is often that, you know, kids who have severe learning disabilities or nonverbal learning disabilities or, you know, autism, the expectation is, well, they're really going to struggle and they're not going to be able to keep down a job or they're not going to be able to, you know, graduate on time or academically. And in Matthew's case, he did graduate on time. He did graduate Mm -hmm. academically and Mm -hmm. he was able to go and get gainful employment that not only is it employment, but it's employment that matches his skills and interests. That in Mm -hmm. itself is rare. That's right. For for most adults, really, you know, exactly. (laughs) He's got, he, he, he truly has his dream job. How many of us can say that? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's rare today, but why, why didn't I think, okay, I re I didn't think because I didn't think he would be able to find a place number one that would accept him yeah. the way I knew that he could or should be accepted. Right. Yes. Not that we coddled because we never, ever coddled him and we never, ever used autism as an excuse. However, society does. Yeah. And unfortunately, I can't change the way society looks at somebody like Matthew by myself as much as I think I can or as much as I want to. And as much as I hope that the book will help, I'm only hitting the tip of the iceberg. So when Matthew got into his routine at Two Rivers Wildlife Park, Matthew made the change. That's right. 
I had nothing to do with that because I didn't attend two rivers with him. And I told him that's how it was going to be from day one. If you want to do this, bud, I have no problem supporting you, but I'm not going walking in cow and horse fields and burns all day long. (laughs) That's not my thing. Right. So if you want to do it, you go fill your boots. I figured after a few months, the novelty might wear off. Well, was I ever wrong? And am I ever yeah. glad I was? Yeah. So when he got in there, he drew them in. He drew that staff in. He, he did it all, right? He worked, his, he worked so hard, but he loved every second of it. So yeah. it wasn't work to him right and and he was able to form relationships there and he just absorbed everything that they told him like a sponge and it wasn't just about the animals i mean he cuts wood he mows lawns he does feed he there's nothing up and now two rivers expanded and they have the seasonal camping there as well Mm -hmm. and you drive through there now or or you hear people talking and they look forward to hearing from Matthew because after he's done his shift at work with the animals he'll go up in the evening with a cup of coffee and he'll walk the campground just to make sure everything's okay and they call him the mayor of two rivers right you know and he'll go up and he'll talk to people and he'll do tours of the animal trail And people who have known him now for the last number of summers will say there's always something new that he is teaching them. That's fantastic. If if they've gone on multiple tours of the trail, the animals are all the same. But every time Matthew does a tour, he's bringing out different pieces of information and people are learning new things all the time. It's not an... It's not a tour that he gives that's memorized. It's not the same information all the time. He's not just regurgitating facts. He's teaching. That's right. Right. So he did all that. He made himself gainfully employed. He made himself valuable in that place of employment, which is extraordinary. It is. It's absolutely extraordinary. So, yeah. When you look back, is there anything, because I mean, everything has worked out for him, but is there Mm -hmm. anything along the way that you think would have helped him even more as far as programs go? Because I know, you know, there are more cooperative based programs now, Um, you know, mine and your son, my son is a little younger than yours, but, you know, just in the past few years, we're seeing more cooperative programming in the Mm -hmm. high schools and and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But um, as far as, you know, and maybe that would be great for all kids. Um, I think it's especially beneficial for kids who have learning disabilities and autism because they actually get placed in the community and get yeah. some work experience. But even beyond that type of experience, is there anything else you wish that Matthew had had when he was in middle school or elementary besides having an IPP or access to a TA or anything like that? I think the one thing I, I, I believe would have helped him more than anything in middle school especially was a buddy, some type of a buddy system, um, somebody that, that he could just talk to. I mean, he was in the learning center um, 
full time in both middle school and high school. But I think if there would be some way, even during breaks or lunches or something like that, that there, because at that point in time, he really found it difficult making and sustaining meaningful friendships. Right. To have that buddy system, to have a group of peers that um, would be there to support him because the TAs and the teachers and the parents and the grandparents and the family, that that's one level of support. But a peer support is so integral to their development and their growth and their ways of thinking and their ways of reacting and, and reaching out to other people their own age. Yeah. And their confidence. Yeah. That's right. Above absolutely. all else. Yeah. Now, when, else. when he, when he entered grade 10, there was a, a pilot project that he, he did participate in the peers program, which was developed at uh, UCLA. I believe, don't quote me, but I believe it is part of the curriculum now for mm-hmm. high schools. Yes. Um, I'm telling you, Elizabeth Logason is an absolute genius in her own right, because that program that she put together for for these students, I learned so much from it because there was a parent component to it as well. And I feel it should be a compulsory course for all students. Wow. Anybody on the spectrum, anybody with learning disabilities or not there is something in this type of program and it, it, the basics of the program was how to make and sustain meaningful friendships. And you think of kids in junior high and high school, they're tumultuous years. They are. Right. I mean, if I had somebody teach me ways to do things properly, the right way, or what should be said, or what shouldn't be said, or how other people feel, or taking things that that are said in context the right way or the wrong way. This course was absolutely mind-blowing to me as a grown adult, what I took from it. I couldn't imagine, you know, how beneficial it would be to the kids And it taught things like even for Matthew, you know, more specifically things aimed towards kids with autism, how to talk on the phone, how to make a phone call, how to receive a phone call. Matthew's a visual thinker. If he's talking to somebody on the phone that he doesn't really know and he can't picture them like talking to his grandfather sitting in his chair in his living room. Those types of things were really, really difficult for Matthew. He avoided the phone at all costs. He, he was scared of it because he didn't know what to expect. So small things like that were so huge to him. So that, that whole concept of the buddy system and the peers program, I think they can all be interrelated. And, and like I said, Dr. Logason really tapped into something vital with that program. Mm-hmm. And it, it should be something that's, that's offered to everybody. It would At an earlier age. Right. At an and, earlier age. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that's an excellent point. So, I know you said it at some point earlier, but I think we'll finish off with me asking you this, and you know, just because I think it's one of the most important, um, important things I could get out of today with you. What's the most important piece of advice 
you would pass on to parents and to family members, not just parents necessarily, of a child with a disability? I think the most important thing is to allow yourself to feel the feelings that you have. Don't dismiss them. Don't dismiss the hurt. Don't dismiss the anger because they all, they all have a place in your story. And my story, as complete as it might be in the book um, that chronicled Matthew's journey from throughout his entire school life, that, that's one story. But for every child that's out there and for every family that's out there, there's another story that I could learn something from. And every emotion that you feel and every high that you feel and every down that you go through is going to bring you to a certain spot one day that you're going to say, all right, we're going to get through this and it's all going to build they're like stepping stones. Every emotion, every feeling, every accomplishment, every struggle will build to a point that you're going to get to someday and you're going to wake up and say, we're going to be okay. And if we're not, we'll try again tomorrow. That's the biggest thing. Don't ever give up on tomorrow. I agree. Tracy's story is not unlike many parents of children with diagnosed autism. Like Matthew, with the right interventions, these children can find the right career path that fits their strengths and skills. Matthew's success is the result of a combination of academic accommodations, coping strategies, family support, and even work accommodations. The family of Matthew Hilliard acknowledges that Two Rivers Wildlife Park gave Matthew the opportunity to volunteer, develop work skills, and eventually a permanent work position there. Now, if you don't know, Two Rivers Wildlife Park is located in Grand Myra North, which is on Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia. It's 500 plus acres with over 50 species of native and non-native animals and birds, a petting zoo, hiking and cross-country ski trails, wagon and sleigh rides, a U-fish pond, children's playground, and now overnight camping, which is available from May 15th to October 31st. You can visit their website for more information, www.tworiverspark.ca. This week is the second anniversary of Tracy's book, Through Rainbows and Storm Clouds. It's available on my website, Learnability Nova Scotia, which is www.learnabilitycb.com. Tracy will be officially relaunching her book in the coming months, but copies are now available through Learnability. And after listening to Tracy today, you can see that her story relates to so many families and provides hope in the wake of uncertainty. Tune in next Monday, September 21st, when I'm joined by Nanda Arnold, who is a holistic nutritionist and wellness coach and owner of Naturally Nanda out of Kamoka, Ontario. Nanda and I will be discussing immunity and brain health, boosting immunity and increasing focus through foods. Great topic for our students as they've been transitioning back to school. 
Greatest thanks to Tracy for being with me today, sharing her story, and to all of you for listening in. Have a great week.